Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Welcome back, listeners, to our standalone review of Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. This is not a series uh, we decided to just do a standalone review. But before we get into anything, Alan, how many times have you seen Scott Pilgrim? Okay, well, let me put it into to perspective before I give the actual number. I watched this during the summer. Um, I just finished watching Baby Driver that came out. And I went to go see it. And that was my very first Edgar Wright film I, I had ever seen. So I was like, this is really cool. What else has he done? Like, what other movies? And so I found Scott Pilgrim. And I, I had definitely heard about it many times before that. But I just never watched it. And so I did. And I sat down by myself and I watched it. And within probably two seconds, I was like, holy cow, this movie's insane. Just <laughs> because of how different it is. And we'll get into it, of course. And so I, show, so I watched it myself once. And then I told my brother, you have to watch this. So I showed my brother, which is two times. And then I watched it with you. And then we had a friend over either about, I think, two or three weeks after that. And we watched it again. And then I I think I saw, oh yeah, I saw it with my cousin uh, when we were on vacation. And then I watched it just recently for this review with a bunch of friends. So that's six times. And it's been like a month and a half. I think that's a record. Yeah. Not going to lie, though. This movie rewards on rewatching. So at least I wasn't bored. <laughs> That's true. It is so much fun. And this is my third time seeing it. Yeah, we watched it twice together. Right. We watched it twice together, uh, once together. Then we had a friend over and watched it. Right. And then I watched it for this review. And that's, I normally don't see movies that many times in that close of succession. Of course, I've seen other movies quite a bit. But not, like, one after the other. The only time I ever did that was when I was, like, six and I was watching Disney movies like Dumbo or something. Right. Right. And Alan showed me this, and I was blown away. And I'm looking up to see how much it costs on Blu-ray.com, and I see they made a limited edition steelbook of it. Yes, they did. And it looks amazing. Yes, and they did this steelbook style. It's like a comic book panel style. Listeners, I'm sure you might have some of those in your Blu-ray collection. I also have one. Uh, Scarface yeah. is the same style. I know they did King Kong, Van Helsing, Hulk. I personally have um, Born Ultimatum in that style, that comic book style. Yeah. So those are limited edition, and I know some of those kinds are still in print, but with Scott Pilgrim, they actually meant it. Right. Depending on the limited edition, sometimes they don't mean it. Sometimes they do. They did. So I found a limited edition. I found it. It was not new. It was very like new. It's in wonderful, wonderful condition with the code and the discs. It's all in prime condition. I found it for about 13 bucks on Amazon. Not too bad. And I got that right away. And it is sitting on top of my shelf right now. I'm like, this movie is so amazing. I can't let this opportunity pass by. Otherwise, if you wanted it new, it'd be 50 bucks. Yikes. Oof. <laughs> It's easy to say this movie has now has cult status. It's got a cult following. Oh, oh yes. It's got an insane cult following to it. It does. It was released seven years ago, over seven years ago, October yep. 13th, 2010. So just last month, close to the day, was its seventh year anniversary. 
And as Alan said, it's directed by Edgar Wright, who has done Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, Into the World, other things I don't know and can't remember. Baby Driver is his most recent film. Yep. And of those, I have seen Baby Driver, this one, Scott Pilgrim, and then I've also seen Hot Fuzz. And of all the ones that I've seen, they are all pretty much amazing. Mm. Maybe someday we'll do retrospective. But regardless... Maybe. Edgar Wright is on track for being one of my favorite directors, just because three of the six movies that he's done, I've absolutely loved them, which is saying a lot. Yeah. Well, listeners, if that's something that we should do a retrospective series on, then make sure to comment and let us know. But otherwise, this movie is starring Michael Sarah from Arrested Development fame, Ellen Wong, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Kieran Culkin from Home Alone, Brie Larson. She is blown up now she is huge she did room that was the first thing i remember seeing she, yep well the first thing i saw her in was hoot oh you saw hoot i never watched that she's in hoot and then she was in 21 jump street wait hang on i take it back it was 21 jump street that i saw first it's just it's really weird because she plays in hoot and she's like a fine teenage role and then 21 jump street she's just so goofy and she just looks different yeah. and then she comes in room and she wins the oscar and i'm like whoa this girl is serious she's quite versatile you know She's versatile, and she's very pretty, and I'm just very impressed with her. Right. So, and Anna Kendrick, Brandon Routh, Allison Pill, Mark Weber, and Johnny Simmons. So we have a huge cast. Yeah, a I mean, a lot of, of these people are famous and gone on to fame, and it's just a huge cast, and some of them have become huge. And, like, the more I kept watching this movie, I was like, whoa, wait. You know? Right. This person's in it? This person's in it? So, and I didn't know... I knew nothing about this movie going into it. I, I only knew Michael Sierra was in it. That's it. I knew nothing else. And I'll say this. I did read the comic, so I will also be comparing it to the comic. Yes. It's like six volumes, right? Yes. There are six volumes. And I'll get into some of the differences with it. There are quite a number. I won't get into every difference because we'd be here for hours. But I'll get into like the bigger yes. ones, and like when we go, I'll go through all the fights and tell you which one, like what's different between each of the different fights with the boyfriends and stuff. The film was also not only directed, but it was also written by Edgar Wright, and it was also written by Michael Bacall, which this Michael Bacall character is really interesting because in the Quentin Tarantino film, in Django Unchained, he is Smitty Bacall, the leader of the Smitty Bacall gang. Really? And his name is Bacall. And he's in Inglorious Bastards and other things, but he also wrote 21 and 22 Jump Street. Right. And it's just weird. I'm like, what? he stars in these movies and he also has written 21 Jump Street. I don't know. Interesting guy. That is very interesting. Wow. Yes. And this film is an hour and 52 minutes, close to two hours. Yep. Rated PG-13, and on IMDb, it currently holds a 7.5, right. which is not too bad. No, that's actually really good. Yeah. The budget for the film was $60 million. Yes, that's quite expensive, too. It may not sound like it, but it is. It is, especially for something adapted like this from a comic series that was not even finished right. at the time, and more of an independent film in a way i mean it's does that make sense it's just not a mainstream blockbuster right yeah exactly but the you fact know. that edgar wright was put on to do it is what 
was what gave it so much money and support from the from the studio is because if you can slap Edgar Wright's name on it, then it's bound to do good. When this movie came out, I was 15 years old. This movie, I saw little TV clips. Definitely, I was not interested in it at all. Right. Um, it was mostly kind of the weird kids, I guess, going to see it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I had no clue it wasn't on my radar, right. and apparently it wasn't on very many uh, people's radars because the domestic box office it grossed thirty one point five million, Thanks. and foreign sixteen million for a worldwide total of forty seven point six million. It did not make back its budget. E. <laughs> Oof. So. Not a box office success. Right, right. It had an opening weekend of $10 million, and it opened at number five. Oh, man. You want to know what it was beat by? Oh, dear. I'm scared. The other two movies that came out that weekend, this is going to make you mad. The other two movies that opened that weekend were The Expendables and Eat, Pray, Love, which I think was a Sandra Bullock movie. I can understand The Expendables, but whatever. Well, The Expendables was number one. Right. Eat, Pray, Love, The Other Guys, Inception. Okay. And then finally at number five was Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Right. All right well, I, I can at least understand Inception. Yeah. You and I saw Inception together. We did. That's right. That was I a remember I didn't like it at first when we walked out. Yeah, I remember that. I was, I was like enthralled with it and you were like Bleh. yeah <laughs> yeah i just didn't get it my young brain did not comprehend what what christopher nolan was trying to give me i have since changed my mind <laughs> so yeah well so scott pilgrim sadly did not do well at the box office from what i heard baby driver's recent film is actually his most successful yeah film I've heard. like box office wise but before we go any farther, before I do the plot summary, listeners, I want to let you know that we are going to spoil this movie rotten. So I highly, highly suggest if you have not seen Scott Pilgrim, please click stop right now, click pause, go watch the movie, and then come back and click play because you're going to thank us for watching Scott Pilgrim because it's so amazing and you're really going to have a better time with the review. Exactly. If you know what's going on. And, and we don't want to spoil this for you. This movie is such a treat. So you've been warned. You're going into spoiler territory right now. Right. And here's the plot. The, and to kind of also preface, this movie is better when it's a surprise to you. Yes. I will try not to spoil the comic too much. I think I might, I'll make sure and let the listeners know if I ever get into some spoilers but for the most part, you should be fine. If you ever read the comic, you should be okay. Scott Pilgrim is a nerdy 22-year-old who is in a band called Sex Bomb. He's recovering from a bad breakup and wants something uncomplicated. He begins dating Knives Chow, a high schooler who falls hard for Scott and his band. In a dream, Scott encounters a mysterious purple-haired rollerblader. He quickly learns she is the new girl in Toronto, Ramona Flowers. Scott, in true form, awkwardly breaks up with knives and awkwardly sparks a relationship with Ramona. Just as things are heating up between the two, Scott learns he must fight Ramona's seven evil exes. But ultimately, he ends up finding self-worth, 
Wow, that was hard to say. Self-worth. Self-worth and self-sacrificing love for Ramona. After defeating the ultimate final ex, Gideon Grey, Scott and Ramona travel hand-in-hand through a mystical doorway into happily ever after as credits roll. (laughs) Yes. That's uh, quite summarized, too. Yes, but we're going to get into all the details. So this film opens with a wonderful opening of a a 16-bit universal logo and sound, and it brings me back to the days when I was a kid. Down in the basement playing the SNES right. and listen to all this stuff and on my little Game Boy and oh, it's wonderful. Yep. I remember the this was the first thing I saw. Um, well, I mean, it's the first thing anyone's going to see. But I remember this coming up and I was like, what in the world am I watching? Because it's the 8-bit Universal logo and the 8-bit fanfare in the background playing and it's like, what is happening? And this at this point, I was like, okay, this is not what i thought it was going to be in the first place this is something a little bit special it's totally special and they let you know because they're like in a magical land of toronto canada (laughs) exactly scott is dating a high school or something like that and we just get this wonderful zelda music yes so something you'll find with this movie that i absolutely loved and i'm not going to go through all the dialogue because that would defeat the purpose so fast it goes by so fast but i love the dialogue and Scott's retort to everything. Um, like, so have you guys done it yet? And he's like, we've done many things. We've held hands. And we've got these crazy roommates. Or no, they're not roommates. There's band members. But they're crazy. And they all got their own unique personalities. Mm-hmm. And you find, like, later that uh, Scott and Kim were together. And she's like, she's like, how old are you? Like, 29? And how long have you been out of high school? And they were in high school together. And and I'll get into it a bit later, but Kim's character, she's she's kind of the same in the comics. She's kind of just like one note, and she mm-hmm. like in the movie she's very one note and doesn't really care. But in the comic, she she's developed she developed a lot a lot better, I would say. And I'll get into it later because when when the movie gets into it later, um, they kind of reveal a couple of things. But yeah, for the most part, the comic I'll see. I'm just gonna say this right now, the comic just is just develops his characters a lot better than the movie can. And that's mainly because the movie only has so long and the comic is six issues and sure. six long issues, like 150 pages each. Mm. So, yeah. And we get crazy characters. Um, Knives Chow, that name really threw me off. Same. And another funny name is Steven Stills, who's a part of his band. And I'm pretty sure that's the name of Steven Stills from Crosby, Stills and Nash. Mm-hmm that band group so i was like oh wait that's funny and that's something i only found upon this viewing right so you'll just find little hints and tidbits upon every watching you like find something yeah. every watching and this is totally edgar wright to do this if if there's one thing edgar wright really likes to do is he likes to hide things in the background and so right. and it and those things in the background either you can miss them or not miss them but either way they help tell the story in some way and it's really really interesting to see that i'll point one out a little bit and not too long after this, there's one in the background that uh, there's one thing in the background that I find just absolutely hysterical. And we'll get there when we get there. But yeah, if there's one thing Edgar Wright knows how to do very well, it's hide little hints and Easter eggs in his movies. Yes, that is that's true, especially for this one. I can only speak for this one. Right. And we get to his sister Anna Kendrick. Yes. Who, of Pitch Perfect fame, and it's just hard for me to think she's a she's supposed to be a teenager in this movie. She's supposed to be the young one, because I'm not really used to that in the movies. Right. 
Right. And this but, is what I was talking about just a second yes. ago. In the background, when she calls Scott and she says, when you're dating a high schooler scandal, you know, and in the background, there's a sign and it says, if you're using a cell phone, you will not be served. And it's just, it's just funny, you know, just seeing that sign it has nothing to do with anything except the fact that with every time it cuts to her in the coffee shop, she's always on her phone. Right. And I never, you know what? That's crazy. I never really thought about yeah. her using the cell phone. That's so funny. Right. It's just like but, little things like that. I won't, I'm not going to point all of them out because that'd be ridiculous, but right. it's just something that you have to look for. Well, I'm wondering if Edgar Wright is a Gilmore Girls fan because we see something similar in Gilmore Girls and Luke's coffee shop, Luke's diner. Um, there's like a background where it's like cell phones and it's like, no, you like can't use them there. Right. It's just kind of funny. Right. And I'm sure, I'm sure that's probably a nod to it too because I know later they nod to Seinfeld as well. That's true. And it's, we'll get to that in a little bit, my right. thoughts on that. Right. But before we get there, we meet Scott's roommate who's played by Kieran Culkin who plays the Fuller in Home Alone, and he's the one right. that wets the bed. So, yeah, that's right. <laughs> very, very different in this movie. Honestly, I like him a little bit in this movie. I like parts of his character. Um, honestly, after a while, like his character kind of comes off as like just too pretentious or right. something. Um, I understand that's the character, but then after a while, like some of it gets on my nerves a little bit. And I'm kind of glad, though that he's not like the stereotypical gay character where he's got the really high-pitched voice oh, and he yeah, does all the, yeah. like, the really promiscuous things. He's not really like that. And I kind of enjoy that this character who is very prominently a gay character is not always out there like that. He kind of seems normal, if I were to say. And he's kind of the right. same in the comic. You know, he's just... he's In the comic, he messes around a lot more. Um, like with Scott and stuff. He's, he's a bit more jokey than and that, and then the movie. But... At least I'm glad that he's not outwardly, prominently, overly being like, um, just kind of a bit more dramatic, if that's the right word to say. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Right. Well, and something that I really love is uh, Scott and Knives' relationship. Right. I love how she's just like this high schooler who's enamored, like, just head over heels for this, like, skinny beanpole. Right. Nerdy guy. And I love the line when she's like, I've never kissed a guy before. And he like, you've got like this like great like guitar music in the background, like very much teenage, you know, dream summary music. Right. And he just like leans in like he's going to kiss her. And he's like, me neither. And they just like walk <laughs> along. And I'm like, Scott is so like nerdy, but he's also so smooth about this stuff. Exactly. Exactly. And right after that line, they get to his apartment or whatever. And he's like, mm-hmm. and she's like can I come in? He goes, oh, my apartment's kind of one of those no girls allowed type deals and it just kind of goes to show that knives is kind of easy and scott knows this and that's kind of the reason why he's dating her is because he just wants something easy after his breakup with his previous girlfriend which is rough that is true that is very true yeah and i want to make a comment about the cinematography uh the the cinematography it moves so quick And also the editing, like, hand in hand. But the way the cinematography is framed and then the way the film is cut very much resembles a comic book, I feel. Right. Because you're going from panel to panel and you're moving quickly. Right. And it's not like Ang Lee's Hulk where it's distracting and it's just dumb. And this one, it actually works because when, like, earlier when he called, when uh, Stacey Pilgrim calls Scott, like, the the two halves kind of meet together. You know, and there's this. There's a split screen, and it, it, but it doesn't seem confusing 
you know, like it would in Angley's Hogwarts, just kind of all over the place, you know. And this one, it's very focused, and it's not like, it's not in your face about it. It actually helps tell the story because it's happening at once, but it's also, you can tell, it's not really real. And it's meant to be that way, you know. So it's very interesting the way they edit and the way that they shoot this movie is, um, it's very much a comic book. You can tell it's from a comic book, and it's meant to be like that. And I'll get into that a bit later because the comic book does touch on that kind of theme of reality. It's really interesting, but we'll get there. This this film does play a lot with reality, and we get our first vision, mm-hmm. or dream, I guess. I thought it was a vision, but then you realize it's a dream. And that really threw me off. Um, the desert he's in reminds me of the desert place from Pirates of the Caribbean 3. Right. Where Jack yeah, Sparrow is, yeah. which was like this weird limbo place or something. So that really threw me off, and this kind of shows, like, begins to show you that this is going to be a really fantastic, fantastical movie. And the movie, like, calls that out, but it also still indulges in it. It's very interesting. Um, we'll, we'll, like, everything has a point to it, though. And, like, this dream shows that Scott is still lonely, even mm-hmm. though he's with Knives. Like, it's a very unfulfilling, shallow relationship. Right. Right. But I love the line when Knives and Chow are in, not Knives and Chow, <laughs> Knives and Scott are in the library. Yeah. And, He's like, this kind of reminds me of grade school. And she's like, that must have been a really long time ago. And he's like, yeah, let's talk about something else. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm like, that's something okay. I would say. Yeah, and that's the thing. I've seen this movie six times, and it's still hilarious. Something that confuses me is when Scott sees Ramona for the first time, mm-hmm. and Knives looks at Scott. And the way Knives is looking at Scott is like, oh, wow, do you think she's cute? do you do you know what i mean the way knives looks at scott because scott is like drooling over her like in awe and then knives looks up like whoa like isn't she amazing and she's like but then she's like do you know that girl yeah i didn't get that at all beforehand she's already kind of been like oh like bug-eyed and everything about scott and so when he sees another girl she goes do you know that girl like um like she's trying to get into his life a bit more you know i didn't really i didn't guess guess didn't really see it as um Oh, do you like her? You know. Yeah. It, I don't know. I, that's the way I interpreted her expression. Right. But it, th- but then we realize that's not the truth. Yeah. And also, I like to point out that the song that plays here at this point is called Garbage Truck, which is a song that they mm-hmm. play later on. In fact, this is actually the first song they play in the Battle of the Bands later on, yeah. which is the first concert or show that Ramona goes to and Knives goes to. So that's kind of interesting. It was yes. Easter egg. I feel this movie does a very good job at capturing a, at least in the beginning, a teenage kind of romance. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the romance evolves. But just that teenage romance where Scott is like searching for Ramona at the party. And it's like, we've all kind of been there. You know, there's like some girl there, some crush. You're kind of looking around for her and you want to talk to her, but you don't know how to introduce yourself and I'm like okay that's really relatable and right. really well done and it it is kind of played up in a satirical way but right. they capture that well yeah and they do that really really well cuz even in the comic especially when you get later into the comic there are some conversations that you have and for the most part the comic is kind of oh this is kind of fun you know it's it's fun but relatable but then they get to a certain point in the comic and it's like oh crap that's actually like genuine like that's real you know and mm-hmm. at least in this opening um, this is kind of getting off track, but in the opening, they do, for the most part, they're staying on track with the comic. It's very much 
um, just pulling things straight from the comic and just putting it on the screen. When you when we get to the first fight with Matthew Patel, that's when things start to change a lot, and that's the end of the first issue. Like the first the first issue and the first act of the movie are pretty much the same. There are a few differences, but for the most part, they're they're the same. But once we get past that, then things start to get things start to get uh, like broken up, and they, it goes different ways in the comic. That makes sense. Yeah, yep. there's setup that they have to accomplish, right? In this, and there is um, like kind of, quite a bit of foreshadowing in this, and of what's to come. Like we see the Nega Ninja, mm-hmm. who Scott can never get past. He's like, oh, I can never get past this guy, and we do, and he doesn't even try. And we see Scott really doesn't have that self confidence to even win this video game battle. Right. So when he gets to Nega Scott in the end, things have changed. Right. We'll talk about that right. when we get there. Yeah, we'll talk about Nega Scott too because uh, that's a lot different than it is in the comic. But yeah, we'll get there. Okay. And something else is Mary Elizabeth Winstead. We're introduced to her at the party. Yes. And I think she is gorgeous. So I've always thought that since. I uh, saw her in Sky High. Did you see Sky High? I have seen Sky High. It's been a while, though. She's in Sky High. Very, very pretty. Yes. Um, most recently, as far as I know, she was in 10 Cloverfield Lane. I absolutely loved her in 10 Cloverfield Lane. She did so well. And she's also, um, I think it's over now. It was Fargo Season 3. I've only seen the first couple episodes. I need to get back to watching that. But she's in that. So she she's done... A lot of things. I'm really glad to see she's still doing stuff. But she plays a very different character in this than I've seen in anything else. Oh, yeah. She does a great job. And her character in the movie is much different than it is in the comic. She's actually more like Kim in the movie than she is how she's in the comic. She's very much much a lot more likable in the comic. She comes off as like a real real girl, like someone who's actually kind of real. And this one, it's very much she's hurt. And that's just why she's kind of one note. In the comic, she is a bit more likable, I would say. And, of course, they explore her more, but I've already talked about that. So, Yeah, she's alluring, but she's also very cold and distant. Right. And I think she does well with the character. Um, I don't think this is her best role, but... Oh, yeah, I think she does great. From what she has to work with, yes, she does. I really do like the character of Ramona. She There's, like, a lot to her, and uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead really projects that really brings right. a lot of depth to the character while still like having up there's like this wall and it like slowly kind of comes down so i'm right. yeah and i do kind of want to point out one joke that's in this this party scene he goes mm-hmm. up to this guy named kamu which is he his description is he knows everybody and right when you see his description yeah, scott asks him he's like hey you know everybody right and he goes <laughs> yeah basically why and it, it has the description he's like no it knows everybody or whatever and then he says, you a girl who has hair like this and pulls up like this picture. It's like a scribble picture, you know. He goes, oh, yeah, her name is Ramona Flowers. It's just, it's just funny. It's just so funny. I love that. And something else, listeners, you might not have caught. I know I didn't catch it until the second viewing. Was that kind of like Zelda fountain dream song thing. I don't really remember exactly what it's yeah. from. Yeah. I'm definitely pretty sure it's an Ocarina of Time. It's when Scott goes to pee and then he goes into the high school dream scene. Right, right. Right when he's walking, I was like, oh, wait, is that the Zelda thing? You know, so there's a couple different Zelda things in here that, that really work well. Yep. And honestly, I feel like the movie moves so fast. 
from scene to scene, it feels like unreal, but it also feels real. And I think that's because like Scott really feels like he doesn't have much to live for. Right. Like his life is pretty uneventful until Ramona comes in and then his life is super eventful. Right. Exactly. And that's definitely the same in the comic. Like he's just kind of on the brink of being an adult, but is still very much a kid. And the comic explores it a bit more like with what he's thinking and stuff like that. But yeah, you're definitely right. It's, it's very much dreamlike. So, does Scott and Ramona's relationship move as fast as it does in the movie, as like in the comic? No, it's it moves a lot slower, but you get a lot more out of it. Well, see, because I was surprised that Ramona and Scott get so close so quickly. Right, yeah. Because he, like, walks into her room. I was like, why would you do that? Very rude. And she's like, oh, I'm just changing in my bra with the door open. Exactly. And then we cut to a scene with her in her, you know, underwear. And they're in bed kissing. And I'm thinking, whoa. Yeah. It, this is It takes so quite fast. a jump. Yeah. In the comic, it does kind of flesh out just a little bit. But at least in this opening scene, when they first meet, it's pretty much the same speed. But yeah, it's it's fleshed out a bit more in the comic. They have more time to do that stuff. Mm, okay. Yep. The one thing that I think kind of isn't justified or makes any sense in this is when she gives him his number and she writes the seven X's on the card. Right. Okay. That just really doesn't make any sense. I understand they're supposed to be like, because then later Scott's roommate is like, what did you think these were? Like his roommate knew that or something. And that's something we find in this movie is that like everybody knows, like either Scott is supposed to be like this like super oblivious character like when he's like, say the L word or something, and he's like, lesbian. He's like, no, the other one, lesbians. He's like that oblivious. He doesn't even get love, you right, know. Right. So I think it's just supposed to be like we're like seeing everything from Scott's point of view, and he's so oblivious. That's why he like gets nothing, and like everybody else has to like explain everything to him. And right, he doesn't like put a lot of stock in himself. That's why. So that's the really only way I can like justify that because otherwise I'm like she just like writes all the X's down and right and that's definitely something that's explored in the comic a lot more. In fact, there's this conversation towards the end between him and Kim about reality and like he remembers things like okay when he talks about later in the movie when he's talking about Kim and um when. When Ramona asks about her, she's like, what about Kim? And he goes, oh, yeah, we did it in high school, but there's nothing nothing to it, you know. And he goes to explain how he fought this 40-foot dude and 95 guys just to get to her, you know. Yeah, And in the comic, you do see that play out. The fight? And you also get, yeah, you see the, you see the fight play out. And then you also see, um, like, developing the relationship to get to that point and then after, the aftermath because she moved. But once we get to the very end of the comic, um, there's a conversation between him and Scott, or her, sorry, her and Scott, where it's like, Scott, you, you don't understand that what reality really is. And hmm. she says, essentially, something to the effect of what you think happened is not what actually happened. And he, the memories he's had before are just kind of over-exaggerated and may kind of make him look better than other people look better. And I'm not going to spoil it, but what actually happened in the comic between uh, him and Kim and the, the guy that he had to fight, it's much different than in what you would ever think it would be, which is something that's very much explored more in the comic than it is in the movie. 
that makes a lot of sense and kind yeah. of puts things in perspective for the movie because like yes everything is really embellished and i also think like scott having to like overcome the exes is also like it's like kind of like partly his fault right because he really just doesn't have the confidence that's like him feeling like unworthy because he's always like you dated that guy or you dated this person and it's just like i don't know it's like he can't move past the exes right where she's trying to and they both kind of have like self-esteem issues that they both like work through together and i really feel that's nicely portrayed yeah i do too i'm i'm glad that it actually although it's kind of a cartoon for for the most part it actually has the movie at least has more a sense of reality to it where they both have an issue but at least they're both gonna work together and both on their own and separately they both have a uh they both have an issue that a similar issue that they're gonna work through right and did you notice it when they go to the kind of the battle of the bands thing on that big flip paper where they're like, where's Scott? Uh, it's the comic book animation. Yeah. We yeah. see that twice there. And then when they, um, the Katanagi twins, it's the uh, comic book drawing. I thought that was cool. Right. And they do kind of look a little bit different in the comic. The drawings do. Although the one, the one that comes up when Ramon is explaining during the fight of Matthew Patel, that's like pulled straight from the comic. But yeah, I did notice that. Yes. Also, just a fun fact here, um, the plum tree shirt that Scott Pilgrim is wearing, there's a song called Scott Pilgrim that was released by a band called Scott, by a band called Plum Tree, and the, it's the director, no, sorry, it's Brian O'Malley's favorite song, who's the guy who created Scott Pilgrim, which is how he got the name Scott Pilgrim. Huh. That's a bit very of a fun, interesting. Very fun, yeah, just a bit of a fun fact. Yeah, and uh, like his last name is Pilgrim, and this is kind of a like a he's on a pilgrimage, yeah, you know, right. ultimately to you know self fulfillment and Ramona exactly, flowers yeah. and stuff. And another fun fact is the band like Crash, Crashing the Boys or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crash is he plays the friend of I can't remember his name, Culkin. Okay. So you know, Kieran Culkin is in this movie. Yeah. His brother, I believe it's his younger brother, is in Scream 4, and that Crash guy is friends with the Culkin. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure they're, they're yeah, they're different brothers. Um, right. Um, not the same. This is not Kieran Culkin from Scream 4. It's, right. Oh, they all have weird names, and they all sound the same. Right, yeah, but they do. But you've seen there's Scream a, 4, so you know, this guy, Crash, you know he's the one with the headset. Yeah. And he's friends with the Culkin kid. So there's a kind of a connection there. Wow, I didn't notice that. Wow. This and, has a lot of connections to Home Alone. I didn't realize that. Yes. And it's possibly alluded to that the Culkin kid and Scream 4 and this guy we see as Crash uh, are possibly gay. Right. In Scream 4. And the other Col- the Culkin, Kieran Culkin in this is gay. So Right. I don't know. Some weird connections going on there. But I was like, right. hey, I'll throw it out there. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But I am seriously thrown off the first time I see this when Matthew Patel comes flying in. Same. I, I It just comes out of nowhere. Like, absolutely nowhere. It comes out of nowhere, but it's also like, okay, I know the movie's crazy, but I didn't think it was going to go like, he could, like people can fly mm-hmm. and bash people into coins and do, mm-hmm. I don't know, crazy kung fu. So Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I have to say, this is, like I said, this is kind of where the difference is in the comics 
start to show themselves. The fight with Matthew Patel is happens very differently in the comic because in the comic, Crash and the Boys play this song called The Last Song That Kills the Audience and everyone just blacks out for like Weird. 30 minutes. And so, anyways, after that, the Matthew Patel fight comes comes and how they defeat Matthew Patel in a comic is basically a song battle between um, Scott Pilgrim and his friends and Matthew Patel and like his uh, backup singers essentially and they end up defeating him because he in the very last line that Matthew Patel has is that doesn't even rhyme just like the same way that uh, Scott Pilgrim says that doesn't even rhyme in the movie when he throws a symbol at his head yeah so yeah there's a, a little bit of a difference here I also should probably uh, talk about the Battle of the Bands is not a thing in the comic. They they made that up completely for the movie. That's fine. I think it works in the movie. Yeah, and uh, like at the at the end, I'll give my my opinions on both. But yeah, honestly though, in the movie, the build up to this fight is absolutely insane. Hmm. And every time I've watched it, I, it just gets my heart pumping. And I've seen it six times, yeah. and each time I watch it, I'm like, oh, I'm so ready for this fight. Yeah, honestly, I think Matthew Patel is my favorite mm-hmm. evil ex. Yeah, and he, I, he's so him, much fun. Him and Roxy Richer are my two fight, my two favorite fights in this movie. But he's yes. probably my favorite evil ex. Is just watch; he's just hilarious. Yeah, he he is hilarious. I love it. Right, and I really do like how they incorporated the actual comic book panels into the flashback. Right. Yeah, like I said before, these are basically pulled straight from the comic. They look almost exactly the same. But help me out with this because the only thing that I kind of don't like about this is I feel like I'm missing something because in the comic this wouldn't be a flashback, right? I'm what do presuming. You mean? Well, because in the comic I'm assuming maybe it is a flashback. In okay, is is because like when we see Ramona and Matthew Patel when they're in eighth grade, yeah. is that a flashback in the comic or is that actually happening in like real time story? No, yeah, that's a flashback. Okay, I was just wondering because I was like, if that's not a flashback in the comic, then there's like so much more context surrounding it than just right. this little flashback scene. But yep, no, it, it's it's completely a flashback in the comic as it is here. Okay, yep. so there's not more really to it? No, basically everything you hear is happens in, in the comic. It's the exact same thing. Nothing, okay. nothing about Matthew Patel's story has changed here from my understanding. Okay, that makes me feel better because yeah. I kind of was like, if I was reading the comic, then because I know like in the book, like in most books and movies, the movie will like allude to something, and right. then in the book it'll be much bigger, right? And you get like so much more, but in the movie you only get a little bit. So yeah. that's why I was thinking about this, but I'm glad it's not that way. Right, and that happens a couple of times with some of the later X's. I'll get into that when we get there, but yeah, there. Mm. This one is pretty straightforward, both in the comic and in the movie. Okay, I, I also liked when Anna Kendrick. His sister, because I, me as the audience member is like, are you kidding me? What is going on? And yeah. Anna Kendrick is like, what? When he starts singing the <laughs> song, <serious>? yeah. <laughs> just this whole fight is just so bizarre. And it's like, okay, this is like the, one of the first times where we really see the aspect ratio change. Like when the fight, like when Matthew that was, cool. was like jumping from the ceiling and he's, or no, he's jumping is about to uh, start to about to attack Scott <laughs> and um, Wallace. Is like fight or whatever, and then the aspect ratio changes through the really skinny frame, and it and like the fight ring comes around Scott, and then the the fight begins. You know, right? It's really interesting. They have in the dream sequence when he um, beforehand, it also kind of changes when he's in the desert, and it, it kind of just like zooms out. You know, 
Mm-hmm. But like right, in this fight, you really see it because it happens more than once when the aspect ratio changes and it kind of zooms in and out and stuff. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Well, and I also notice at the end of every fight, pretty much, there's always, I don't think always, but there's always um, some bad rhyming pun, which is really funny. Mm-hmm. This one is, uh, this is impossible. How can this be? And Scott says, open your eyes. Maybe you'll see. Yeah. And there's another one with Roxy and something else, but I don't know. I'm like, maybe this is meant to mimic like bad video game dialogue or something. Right. It's just really funny. Right. Yeah. It's, it's just meant to be really silly. I think I don't really know if it's meant to do anything else. Yeah. So what do you think of the Seinfeld reference we get? Yeah, at first I was kind of thrown off, but then I remembered we just had the Matthew Patel fight. So how thrown off can I really be, you know? Yes. Upon third viewing, I was like, whoa, I love it. That's like so cool. They did that, you know, because it's totally like a Seinfeld episode right there. And this is really out of left field, though. Right. I think this is just because Edgar Wright probably loves Seinfeld and he wanted to do something with it. But it really doesn't fit in the movie because the whole movie is pretty much a video game mm-hmm. motif and style and not – it totally kind of changes like genres to a TV sitcom for this moment right. with the laugh track and the Seinfeld noises and all that stuff. And it's just almost like a little too distracting, a little too deviating in left field and right. with the theme they're going with. Right. And I think for me – I. It kind of goes to show what kind of a world Scott Pilgrim is living in. Because he comes in, he goes, I got the second and a half base last night. And then the audience is like, ooh. And Walsh is like, like his face like drops. And he's like, are you serious? He's like, and he says to him, maybe first and a half. And then he walks into the next room and comes back out and he's got a different shirt on. And yeah. like just this whole thing, it just feels very fantastical. And when Wallace turns around and switches off the burner, he's like, all right, Scott, and switches off. It goes silent. And then it kind of just him kind of gets in his face. He's like, you need to break up with knives. You can't just do this, you know. And I think yeah. the meaning for this Seinfeld reference is to show where exactly Scott is at. He's kind of in between girls of the moment. And he's realized that, yes, there are seven evil exes that he has to defeat. And he's still holding on to his high school girlfriend. So it kind of just goes to show he's just living in this fantasy world, you know. And, and then Wallace kind of comes in and slaps him in the face and says, uh, you need to figure this out. Yeah. So I think that's the main reason why the Seinfeld reference is there. I th- and I think I really like the breakup with knives. Yes, I do too. As and this also is like pulled straight from the comic as well. Like this scene, like when it's kind of transitioning between her and him in the bus, and Ramona's there. This is all from the comic. Well, I loved that montage. Yes, and this is Teenage Dream by T Rex. Just yes, a little song reference. It was wonderful, and the only thing that could have made it better is if we could have gotten more of it i think that montage because i'm like dang this montage is really good right and the music everything is like so on point and i just wanted more right yeah exactly and yeah it, it kind of also just goes to show um this is a transition between yeah between scott and ramona like him becoming like kind of a less not so matured guy to kind of starting on that track of being an adult and kind of letting That's go of point. his child, letting go of his shadow stuff before, like with knives and stuff. That's a good point. Yeah. Now with the seven, like the second X is Lucas Lee played by Chris Evans, which I'm, which I actually forgot to mention in the beginning. Right. I was super shocked to see him here. Same. Does this seem like too much of a coincidence? I mean, like, from a mean? realistic, too much of a coincidence that Lucas Lee is shooting in Toronto and she dated him. 
in Scott's world, it doesn't, it wouldn't be a coincidence because it'd be like, oh, of course you dated a movie star, you know? Right, right. Coming from a realistic standpoint, it does seem like, really? You know, it's like, what? Right. I don't, well, I don't it's know. also kind of a parallel, too, because he dated uh, Envy Adams or Natalie, and she ended up becoming a big name in the music world, sense. too. So there's kind of like that a parallel sense. there. I didn't think about that. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, the only thing is, is that it seems like Scott is more bothered by her dating Lucas Lee than yep. Ramona is bothered by her dating um, him dating uh, Envy. And it's kind of funny too because she dated Lucas Lee way back, like I think ninth grade in math. Yeah. And she says, I remember there being a lot of drama, and right. that was years ago. Whereas with Envy Adams, that happened. She broke up with him two years ago. So, I mean, it's kind of backwards. Right. The Lucas Lee part is probably my least favorite part of the movie. I think I'd agree with that. It's, I'm going to say this now. Um, I forgot to mention it earlier. The action in this movie is very much, at least for the first couple of fights, it's very much stop and go. And for the Matthew Patel fight, it kind of works because it just kind of comes out of left field. And even Scott's like, what is happening, you know? But with this one, it, it... it, it has a completely different pace than the one before it, and it just kind of it's kind of a bit slower, and I wasn't a big fan of that one either. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I can easily skip through the Chris Evans fight. I don't really care for Chris Evans' role. Like, he does a great job of either playing, like, a super nice Captain America guy, right. or a jerk like this, or uh, Johnny Storm from Fantastic Four, but I just don't really like those roles of his, so I'm not too big right. into this. Yeah, see, I just think it's hilarious because uh, now he's a big name in Marvel, and him just seeing this, now him, he's playing this, like, B-roll action star. Yeah. I just think it's hilarious. It is, it is. Yep. And it is weird to also see Brie Larson in this very small B-roll, like you said. She's pretty much a non-entity in this movie. Um, it's just, she's just meant to be like this drama and guilt that he kind of still can't shake and she kind of pops up to create trouble. Right. Um, and it, And it doesn't really make complete sense why she even calls Scott and talks to him about this stuff or... Right do this i don't know the only thing that makes sense is she's setting him up for uh brandon rouse character to stop right. him i'm gonna go back to the lucas lee fight real quick because oh. there's this is where it gets really different from the comic okay. in the comic lucas lee is not like a jerk that he is in the movie um he's actually kind of nice in fact before they even fight he and scott sit down and they have a conversation about ramona what? and it's actually kind of interesting because it gives him a lot more character but then again, this is a movie, and they only have two hours to. They had only had two hours to fill that, um, so it's understandable why he didn't get it very as, as he didn't get as much character. But you kind of learn a lot more about him in the comic. In the fight, there are kind of a couple stages into the fight. He never fights the stunt team. Um, that's never a thing. That's completely made it for the movie, which I think is I do think is kind of funny. Just the kind of like a play on Hollywood, you know. Although the ending is very much the same when he grinds on the rail. And then he like kind of explodes, you know. That's that's pulled straight from the comic. But yeah, the opening to his fight, I guess the introduction to his character in the comic is very different. So yeah, that's my that's, that's just a little difference, a little difference from the movie to comic. And it's the common theme. Each comic is centered around one of the X's, and when it's centered around one of the X's, they kind of show up at different points in the comic. This next one we don't fight yet, but we get introduced to is Mae Whitman, which she's been in, um, I think 
she's in Parenthood and some other things um, on TV. She's kind of had a little fame with that. She flies like a Death Eater from Harry Potter. And her character really throws me off because I'm thinking ex-boyfriends. And remember when we first watched this and I'm so confused. I think she's like some weird side villain or something. And um, I think her character is great. I love her lines and acting. <laughs> yes, yes. And she does show up a little bit later in the comic. Because she's... she'll get, I think she shows up here about, about this point in the comic. But this scene doesn't happen until later in the comic. Huh. Well, I just love her lines when she's like, you punched me in the boob and <laughs> yeah. from my brain and never mind. And she's just like, yep. I just love that. It's just so next time, funny. I'll be deadly serious next time. What? Yeah. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> <laughs> or my, my favorite line is probably prepare to die. Obviously. <laughs> I love it's that. great. And it's really, really nice because it sets it up for when she does come back. Right. Right. I and this that. scene also is kind of pulled straight from the comic as well. Huh. I'm really glad they did stick fairly close to the source material and yeah. appropriately deviated when they had to. Right, yeah, and they'll get, like, the end fight with Gideon Graves completely different, but we'll get there. Well, okay, do you think this is a huge coincidence again? Like, this is even way, way, way more of a coincidence. Like, I can excuse the Lucas Lee coincidence, mm -hmm. but it, it's just a huge coincidence that Scott and Natalie date, then she leaves him for Todd, and Todd before like uh, okay so i'm assuming scott and natalie are together and todd and ramona are together but then natalie and todd are in the band together and they find each other out it doesn't make any sense right i don't know and it's too much of a coincidence when they're like talking about todd she's like i did it to todd once and then they come to the concert and it's like what like our exes are dating mm -hmm. and it's it's i get it it works it's funny but i'm like what a right. small world we live in. <laughs> right, yeah, it definitely is. And they they explore Todd's character a bit more in the comic, as well as the drummer for Clash of Demon Head. She yeah. actually does stuff in the comic. Um Yeah. But yeah, I think you're I think you're right. It is although it is kind of funny, you know, kinda of having Ramona and Scott's paths cross more than you would think, it does kind of raise the question, like, is it just maybe a bit too much? That Todd started dating Natalie or Indy yeah. Adams? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I can see why you think that. Well, and the other thing that I think doesn't pay off is when Knives begins to stalk Scott and she's trying to dye her hair to get Scott back. Mm -hmm. I feel like, and then she tries to make him jealous. I was really excited at that prospect. Yeah. I understand why the movie didn't go further with it because we really just don't have time. Right. This is not what the movie's about. Um, I just feel like it's not very fulfilling and it doesn't really pay off. Right. It I, Like one time I'm disappointed, but then at the other time I understand. Like it's like, no, we don't need to go farther into that. Right. And, so, and yeah. And in the comic, what you see in the movie is essentially what happens in the comic. They show up really? a couple more times, but the amount of depth that's in their relationship is the exact same in the comic. There's nothing more to it interesting yeah well okay do you feel like what do you how do you feel about that like okay i i get where you're coming from but i i think that the depth that they are at is the depth that is the relationship like knives is only only getting in with young neil because scott is close to young neil and she wants to get close to scott and that's the only yeah. reason and in the comic they do kind of 
I guess, okay, I guess they do kind of explore it a little bit more because they have a bit of a conversation and she breaks up with him. But for the most part, I think you're right. It is kind of unfulfilling. But I don't think it's meant to be fulfilling. It's just kind of Niza's character growing towards maturity herself. Sure. So That makes sense. Yep. I thought I thought it was really weird when the Clash of Demon Head starts playing. Mm-hmm. Ray Larson's like shoulders are so small and like her hair and the pigtails, it looks so weird, it's so big. Yeah. And I'm like, man, why why are her shoulders so small and her yeah. hair so big? It just throws me off and I'm like, this looks weird and uh I don't think it's a very good scene. I do think Brie Larson has a nice voice and it's a good song. Yep. But it's just a little weird. I don't yep. know. I don't care for it that much. Yep. It, it, this is the scene when Scott realizes that Todd on bass is the Todd right. that promoted Dave. He's like, he's like, oh no, you know. And I realize it's Brandon Ralph, yeah. as, who plays Superman and Superman Returns, and I'm like, what? This right. Is crazy. Right. He's quite. He's quite a built dude. He is. Yeah. He's very tall. He's about six four, six five, something like that. And, but and that's why I'm shocked when this big Brandon Ralph punches the small little knives mm-hmm. and I just punches her and he's like I'm not afraid to hit a girl I'm like I'm a rock star <laughs> I know he punched the highlights out of her it's hair, out of her hair. <laughs> I love that and something else I forgot to mention um, I love it when knives walks out of the bathroom and she's like Hey Ramona and she's like tries to look just like her but I'm like you look. You look like nothing compared to Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I'm like, because like in the beginning, you're like, oh, Knives is cute. But then when you see like them, I'm like, oh, no. I can see why Scott traded up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And this is actually a change from the comic because this is where the drummer of Clash of Demon Head, she is actually one who punches Ramon. Oh, uh, no. She's the one who actually punches Knives and uh. the highlights come out of her hair. And what's actually mm. kind of funny is that the drummer has robotic arms. <laughs> it's just yeah it's just like i said it's hyper realistic but yeah and then but i mean other than that the scene plays out essentially the same way as it does in the movie and in the comic so oh like the room looks okay. identical and like that's and that shot you know where um where knives mentions that i read your blog envy or whatever and they like the three people on the couch i kind of just glare at her and it has the word glare above them like, that's pulled yeah. straight from the comic yeah, th- this scene, for the most part, is pretty much the same, except for the drummer. The drummer, she's the one who actually punches knives, not Todd. Okay, I gotcha. Yep. And I think Todd's powers look really cool. Yep. And this is actually, like, the first time where I feel like he's a formidable foe. Like, how is Scott going to win? And instead of using brawn, he has to use brains. Exactly. And it's pretty good. It's pretty funny. Um, especially when Scott corrects him, and he's like, don't talk to me about grammar. But the base battle is pretty cool, and I honestly got to say the vegan police is really out of left field, and it probably seems like too uh, like extraneous to the story. It's just almost just like we've got enough things going on. It's just right. a little weird, and right. I don't know. Yeah, and it, it is kind of funny in the comic. This fight also is very, very different. It happens in pieces. They do have a base battle, and at the end of the comic, it's actually it is the vegan police, but. It's different because they they break the fourth wall and say, well, we need a deus ex machina. And then the, the vegan police just burst in and they yeah. and they tell him, you know, the, they read the list of things that he did, that he broke or whatever. 
And the movie, I think, is just, I think it's hilarious. I think it's just meant to nod to the fact that, yes, the vegan police are here. But I think you're right. It is out of left field. But at the same, by the same token, there are a lot of things out of left field for this movie that it's kind of like the fact that Todd is vegan and that's, that gives mm-hmm. him powers. That's ridiculous, but it's also hilarious at the same time, you know? Yeah. And stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. It, it kind of is a bit extraneous, but at the same time, it's kind of it's like, oh, well, if he's going to be a vegan, why not, why not take it a step further? Vegan police, you know, and they come sure, and take away his sure. powers, you know. Well, on to the next fight with Roxy. This is my favorite battle scene. Same. Same. Favorite battle scene. And I love when Ramona, like, stops her, like, grabs her foot and stops her. I'm like, whoa, that is so awesome. And then they fight. And it's a little yep. crazy. She pulls out a giant hammer. Um, to fight her with but it's really cool yeah now this hammer is actually used in a fight early on between ramona and knives once knives figures out that scott is dating somebody else she goes and attacks ramona and i think a mall and that's when she pulls out the hammer so it's kind of a reference to that scene that doesn't happen at all in the movie well at the end but not in the same way um so yeah we get so the hammer is referenced there. And then there's Roxy Richard fight. Roxy sticks around a lot longer. But my favorite line out of this scene is, and one I just couldn't quit laughing about for the rest of the night, is when Scott says something like kind of rude and Ramona's like, you're drunk. You know, like we've seen that in movies where the man is like acting like a jerk and the woman's like, you're drunk. Like I'm disgusted with yep. you. Like you need to go yep. sleep it off. And then he's like, I like had like one drink. <laughs> yep <laughs> and he has two fingers like i just had one drink i just had one drink yeah yep there's one other thing that happens oh yeah the touching of the back of the knee um that finishes oh. off roxy is actually referenced to earlier in the comic when envy and ramona fight and she uses that envy and her. ramona fight yes they do fight envy and ramona do fight i'll kind of talk a little bit about that in a way in the deleted scenes don't get your hopes up they don't fight but there is something that i felt like should have been left in yeah um and in a way i kind of forgot to mention this but in a way scott has to kind of overcome his evil ex his own evil ex of envy in that that scene which i thought was a nice addition um the twins the katanagi twins they really get the shaft in the movie they kind of get the shaft in the comic too and I understand that. I understand that. I honestly, I don't really care to explore that really at all. At like this point, it's enough. And I think their scene is sufficient. They just get it gets blown over really quickly. Um, they're supposed to be awesome musicians, I guess. Yep. And the like, their battle is really cool, like the beast battle and everything. Right. It's a pretty quick scene, and if you've got a like a surround sound theater set up you might want to turn the volume down a little bit because yep. it's crazy intense and it might kind of stress you out a little bit of like how like blaring and in your face it gets. Yep. And, and this is very different than this is going because of the battle of the bands thing that they made it for the movie. Uh, they added this in to kind of tie it together. This is not in the comic at all. Mm. The Kainagi twins do not have a band. Um, they are inventors essentially. And they, they create robots that fight, Scott Pilgrim in the hmm, comic. Totally different. It's, yeah, it's very... They also kind of do get the shaft. There's not much on him 
at all in the comic either. Well, okay, I'm glad that wasn't in the movie because we already get enough of, like, fighting like yeah, that. right. So to actually use the music as fighting, like, the, them battling, I think that was nice to tie that back in to the band. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm so, glad that this was a kind of a change up in the change. formula. And it still progresses yeah. the story because it's the battle of the bands. And they're still fighting for Gideon Graves. And I, I like that they changed it because it fits the story better here than it does in the comic. And the comic is kind of out of left field um, because of the robots and stuff. But, I mean, there's a lot of other things in the comic that are also kind of the same way. But yeah, sure. I, I agree. The, although they kind of get the shaft, I do like that at least the fight is not so the same for every single one of them. Yes. But right after this, we see Ramona. Finally, we see Gideon. And this scene really when i first saw it okay i was i was like oh my gosh i hate this i'm hurting with scott because ramona is like i can't help myself around him yeah and i'm like this is a total betrayal and it doesn't make any sense right because she's like been fighting against it and i'm like really i don't know i was so thrown off which was perfect they did that very well done in the movie Mm -hmm. but i was like ah but I love Gideon's character also. Yeah. Like, he's this nice, evil, like, and he's so funny, but he's, like, also, like, oh, man, this dude's actually really devious. Yeah, yeah. And I, there's a little bit of a, uh, an Easter egg here, too. Um, the song that's playing is called Under My Thumb by the Rolling Stones, mm. which is interesting because this nice. is the first time we hear that she that Gideon kind of has a hold on her, and she's like, I just can't help myself around him. And at this point, then the car rolls in, and it's playing Under My Thumb. And it's like, oh, interesting. Little yeah. Edgar Wright things there for you. Yes. And, Briefly, I want to mention yeah. I love when he spills the hot cocoa on his crotch. Yes. <laughs> because he's like talking to Gideon, he's like, "You'll never get her back," and he's like, "Ah!" And he's like, "Oh, buddy, don't be that upset." And he's like, "I spilled hot cocoa on my crotch." Yes. And that actually does happen in the comic, but it happens in a different place. He's not talking. I don't think he's talking to Gideon. I think he's talking to his oh. sister. Huh. Yes, that same thing happens. Um, okay, let's talk about Gideon for a minute before we get into the fight. Because his character was completely changed in the comic, or no, in the movie than he was in the comic. In the comic, he, yes, the chaos theater exists, but he is not a music producer. And in fact, at this point in the comic, well, actually, up to this point in the comic, the Sex Bobombs have not been doing too much with like their band and stuff. They've been trying to record an album like in their house. But they haven't been doing any shows, and so, yeah. Essentially, Gideon Graves' character is popular and has a lot of money because he keeps breaking girls' hearts, if I remember that correctly. And he has all of his evil, sorry, all of his exes, like, in this, like, sleeping chamber and stuff like that. He's very much a guy who is very controlling and manipulative and knows how to get things from people that he wants. So... Yes, the ending of the fight or the ending of the movie does happen in the Chaos Theater, but it's very different than the comic because it's not part of like the band. The band has nothing to do with it here, whereas mm-hmm. in the movie they're there um, for more incentive for Scott. Okay. So. Hmm. Well, I do like the ending that we get, and in, in this, um, I really. The, the chaos theater looks really cool with Gideon kind of up on his throne. Um, the one thing that I did, I was kind of tired of at this point, is kind of this like really quick cut um, fighting where it's just like, okay, I'm a little exhausted at this point and it just is all going so quick. But, 
and I honestly feel like this chaos theater sequence is a little too long. I can see that. Because he gets there, and then he dies, and then he has to repeat it. Right. And I don't know, it's pretty long. It's a pretty long chunk of the end. Right, yeah, it's at, least, it's, a, it's at least 20 minutes, if not longer. Yes, at, at least that. So it goes on a little too much for me, and I think they could have tightened it up a little bit. At this point, I feel like I've seen everything that I needed to see, and it's just kind of Agreed. now it's hit the repeat button, and it's just like, okay, but can we can we do something else? You know, and when the fight ends, it's kind of a little bit underwhelming, be, underwhelming because I've just seen it before, you know. Yeah. But I still think it's very fun, regardless. Even though I've seen. Yes. It. If you like, if you think too much about it, and especially on like your third viewing you'll realize that the knives and Ramona fight is kind of pointless because nobody's going to like mortally injure themselves. You know, it's not going to be like, it's not going to take a turn and be like a tragedy. You know, it's still lighthearted, even though it's intense. Right. And in the comic, um, this is where things get like really insane for Scott is because like I mentioned way earlier, there's a theme in the comic, a bigger, more evident theme in the comic about reality. In the movie, he dies by Gideon because he gets stabbed, right? And in the movie, oh, sorry, in the comic, he gets stabbed with the power of love, the sword. And that, hmm. and then when he gets stabbed, it's like it's like really bloody, and it's like out of nowhere because the movie, the comic's slowly moving towards like reality and stuff. So at this point in the comic, it's where like that theme of reality is kind of wrapping up and stuff. And so then he actually what happens is Ramona earlier is entrapped in some space because she also dies. And then he goes and saves her because he has the extra life and all that stuff. And then Ramona mm-hmm. and Scott are, are working together to fight Gideon at the okay. end. That's when he learns the power of understanding, not the power of self-respect. Um, because Gideon goes on this rant about whatever, you know, how many girlfriends he's had and stuff like that. And then, mm. and because the reasons for it, Scott says, oh, I totally understand. And then he gains the power of understanding and then he gets a new sword. So him and Ramona and Gideon all fight together. They all have swords and stuff. And yeah, that's essentially it. Um, I would have liked that much better if Scott and Ramona fought Gideon. Right. Right, and the real and the reason why this happens too is because the original ending for the movie was Scott ends up with knives, and yes. that was the original that was the original ending, and it did not go over very well with the screening audiences. So they went back and swapped it. Okay, and see that's kind of I think some issues because, like you said, the original ending he ends up with knives, right. and we get hints of that. Not really throughout the movie, uh, more towards the end when Knives comes back because Ramona says, um, maybe I'm not the one you should be fighting for Right in his like death dream sequence or whatever. So to me, this insinuates he either should be fighting for himself or for Knives. And I think the movie, because of the ending change and like the power of self-worth, right. shows he should be fighting for himself. But then I'm like, well... Uh, in some way that makes sense, but then in another way, because Ramona kind of has that self-esteem issue, and so does Scott, so he needs to overcome himself. But it's like, no, you've been fighting, you've really been fighting for Ramona this whole right. time. So that's right. why there's a couple things here in the end that I think 
they kind of either forgot to change or didn't really need to change. So there's kind of some a little bit of like continuity issues, I think, just with that. Right. Yeah, I can see that. Because I really, it's like, no, Ramona needs to fight Gideon if she wants to overcome him. Right. And Scott together. That's why I was not, it doesn't make any sense for Knives to fight. I understand they're like referencing them fighting the video game, but I'm like, why is Knives fighting the boyfriend? Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. This doesn't make any sense. In the comic, it's not so much the fact that, at least at this point, it's not so much the fact that Ramona just, the moon needs to get over him. When they start fighting in the comic, at that point, she's already gotten over him. But yeah, and I completely agree. This is kind of an issue in the movie. It just, there's a bit of continuity issues because if, if Knives and Scott had made a scene together and it would have made more sense, but at the same time, you're right, it should have been Ramona and Scott fighting Gideon in the end i agree and i would have been very very disappointed and upset with this movie it really would have downgraded it and probably ruined it for me because i hate it in movies when you're like like fighting and trying to strive for a goal right and then the movie totally turns on itself and backtracks and makes the entire movie pointless essentially so as we discussed there's an alternate ending on the disc where right um, Ramon is like, I better just disappear now. And he's like, okay, great. See ya. And then him and Knives walk off and then they go play a game. And yeah, they play the same like, game they were playing in the opening. Right. But this makes yeah. a lot more sense. And I love how Knives is like, go get her. You've been fighting for her this whole right. time. And they, they kind of like all have this like grown up moment and realization moment. And at least Ramona has this because Ramona is like, I can't defeat Gideon. I'm still kind of worthless and it's like no you need to grow as a character and not just be a static character and thankfully she accepts scott and that's fulfilling i'm thankful for that i totally agree that if it ended with knives and scott getting back together it would have just thrown everything off and i'm glad that knives herself even is able to mature with scott and tells him just just go you know you need to be with her, not me. I'm not the one you need to be fighting for. Right. And I I mean, like the old Scott wouldn't have fought for Ramona. Right. And it kind of like takes Knives to help him realize he needs Ramona. Because Knives, Knives represents the simple teenage love. Right. But Scott has overcome like not just his demons. Um, since like he is friends with Nega Scott, he doesn't need to fight himself. But he's also selfless, and he, like, has shown his love by overcoming Ramona's baggage as well, which any couple needs to do that. It's not just about me. It's about the both of us, and that's mature love. Right. And the fight with Nega Scott happens right before the battle with Gideon Graves. Um, This is where that reality speech comes in, is when he's fighting Mm -hmm. himself. Essentially, And he he pops up more than one time in the comic, too. Um, There's a reason why that he's there. But yeah, you're right. It's there's definitely this theme of mature love, and I'm glad that the comic and the movie end the same way, because I previously I heard that the comic ends with uh, Scott getting back together with knives, but that ended up being not true. It was just the ending, the original oh. ending of Scott Pilgrim. Wow. Yeah, so that wasn't the ending because the, the movie and the comic were made. Um, okay, the movie was made when the comic was finishing up. It, the ending had not been made yet for the comic, so 
Edgar Wright did not know what to do with, with to do with it. So yeah, I'm glad that they kind of ended the same way because they both they both have a little bit different themes because the movie deals more with like maturity and self-respect and like growing up, you know, and a comic deals with what is reality and you need to grow up and maturity and stuff like that too. There are similar themes, but there are also some different ones. Like self-respect, yes, is a theme in the comic, but it's not touched upon as heavily as it is in the movie. And yeah, there's slight differences there too. So Alan, what is your rating and possible recommendation for Scott Pilgrim versus the world? Well, if I was to compare it to the comic, I wouldn't give it nearly as high as a rating, but that's not what we're here to do. What I'm doing is I'm telling you what the differences are between the comic and the movie. So I'm just going to, I'm going to, my sole rating is only on as it is as a film. This is my rating from when I first watched it and the subsequent viewings after that. I love this movie. I'm sure it's not very evident because I haven't been gushing about it at all in this review. <laughs> it's ever since I watched it, I was like, okay, this is not something I have ever seen before and probably won't be something that you'll see very often, if ever, because this movie does a really, really, really good job at dabbling both in like the cartoony comic book side of life and then like the realistic side of life, but while still trying to keep it, while still keeping it very, very entertaining. And I'm glad it does it because it's so interesting to see what Edgar Wright could do with it and see that this isn't just a superhero movie. This is a comic book movie. This is a movie, a comic book movie that you would never have seen made in this way if it was never done by Edgar Wright. And I'm so glad that he was able to get on and do this because if Edgar Wright didn't bring what Edgar Wright can do with movies, this would have just failed so bad. In Scott Pilgrim, the comics have already become disregarded classics in general because they're just so good and so relatable. I think one of my biggest problems with the movie is, like I said before, the action can be very stop and go. And especially with the Matthew Patel fight or the Lucas Lee fight, things just kind of stop. And then they go real fast and they stop. And they go some more and they stop, you know. And although there are kind of things that kind of come out of nowhere, like when Matthew Patel starts singing or the vegan police, I'm glad that they aren't they I'm glad that they aren't completely useless because it kind of, like I said, that reality check is still there. It's the theme of reality is definitely an underlying theme that kind of continues through the movie, but not one that they actively talk about, whereas in the comic they do. I don't know, I could gush about this movie forever, and I'm sure we could sit here and talk about it for a lot longer, and I'm glad that we actually got a chance to review this movie, because I'm glad that this movie is what it is, but I would definitely say this is a very high recommend, and I've kind of noticed that there, that not a lot of people like it, because it's just so different, and I find it to be really sad, because... It's kind of like Grand Budapest Hotel. I've shown that to other people, and they're just like, oh, I don't like it because it's different. And sure, understandable if you don't like it because it's just off the wall and it's not what you're used to. But at the same time, I don't think that something being different means it's bad. And I'm glad that this movie realizes that it's different and just runs with it. The comic and the movie are both have the, almost the exact same tone. In terms of the comic, it does... There are things, like I said before, it dives deeper into every single one of the characters. We get more characters that we can deal with. Like Knives Chow, I, 
I ended up absolutely loving her character in the comic because she was she was developed so well. And that's also got one thing in the comic that they do better is growing up. Scott Pilgrim begins at age 23 in the comic, and then at the end he's 24. And Knives is 17 at the beginning, and is 18 when, at the end. Like I said, it kind of deals with maturity on a level that's a little bit different than the movie does. So we give my rating. It's I'm going to say it. It's just a 10 out of 10 for me. I absolutely adore this movie. For a while, I was... Kind of between 9 and a 10. I think this is... This might be my first 10 on this show. I can't remember if it is my first 10 or not. But yeah, absolutely. Highest of recommends. You just have to realize that just because it's different doesn't mean it's bad. Well, it's kind of like you said. Not everybody likes it. And honestly, Scott Pilgrim is not a movie for everyone. Yet it is a movie about everyone. Everyone has experienced adolescent love. But more than that, everyone has had to face themselves. We all come to a point where we can't go back to a carefree teenage life. We look on those times through the misty lens of embellished memory, but we come to realize we actually don't want to be back in those times, like Scott realizes with Knives. Ramona has progressed past adolescent love, a la here's her exes and she desires for a change, but she still is an insecure woman who hasn't found herself. No, she doesn't find her meaning in Scott. She finds her meaning through Scott's selfless love that develops through the course of the film. This is the most like trippy coming-of-age story I've ever seen, but it is one with a lot of heart. The unique video game styling creates a flashy exterior that dazzles the senses with stellar editing. Edgar Wright has created a film that pulls together cross-generational aspects of pop culture and real life, making this film for the young, old, and in-between. The fast-paced editing and overabundance of visual effects can put some viewers off, causing them to either not give the film a chance or missing the deeper subtext altogether. But I promise you, if you give this film multiple viewings, this is my third, you'll find a heartfelt romantic action comedy adventure that is one for the history books. That is why I'm giving Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, it deserves 9 stars out of 10. It is a strong, strong recommend, and it is an absolutely superb film. Wow, that's high rating for this movie. <laughs> it's a very high rating, and I thought about it, and on third viewing, honestly, I was a little apprehensive because I was like, this movie is just like so full force, but... On third viewing, I feel like you can take the time to slow down and really discover what's actually going on in the movie. It's not just like a flashy action movie about fighting and, you know, dating or whatever. There's really a lot to this movie. So that's why I was very impressed with what was going on. Right. I'm glad this isn't like one of those just dumb summer movies. It's one that you can actually sit and just not really thinking and just watching it and enjoying it, but it's not going to be as fun as if it was a movie that's actually meant to be a, a right. movie that's actually stupid. It's not it's a stupid movie, yes, but it's meant to be that way because that's how Scott Pilgrim perceives the world. Yeah. Albeit this title Scott Pilgrim versus the World. <laughs> right. And before we close out the review, um, I just there's a lot of a ton of bonus features on the Blu-ray that I highly recommend checking out. Yeah, when it's, we watched it for the first time, we were yeah. looking at them and we were like, "Holy cow, this thing it's is very, filled!" Right, it's very rewarding. These, uh, especially the deleted scenes. There's one that I seriously wish they would have left in the movie, and it's when Scott and Ramona are on their first date, 
And the movie actually takes time to slow down and breathe for a second. And it's a really nice dialogue between the two of them that I really wish we would have gotten more of because in the final movie, there's not a whole lot. Yes, there is some, but just a moment like this, there's nothing like goofy going on. They're just sitting down on the swings and they're talking. We see her smoking and she's like, I'm doing this because it's like a special occasion. He's like, oh, this is a special occasion. And then she like teases him about some kind of gay thing. And then he like falls off the swing and she does like this awesome jump off the swing. And there's like some really great dry sarcasm. Um, And if you notice during that scene in the full movie, when they're walking by the swing sets, you see the swing sets like moving really fast, like up and down. That's because they both jumped off of them after this scene. Okay. And there's... There's actually a second version, which is not very good, but I really love this first version. And we also get, uh, we see Nega Scott a couple different times. Um, We see him in the bathroom before the Clash at Demon Head concert, except he doesn't look like Nega Scott. And we see him at the bar also before the Roxy fight. And I'm glad they cut that out because that was really weird. And there's a extended pizza pizza scene that gets a chuckle out of me. And... Also, when Scott is explaining the Pac-Man story, he actually says the F word. <laughs> so, I'm, I mean, I'm glad they cut that out. Yeah. Um, and also, this is really nice. When I earlier I alluded to um, Envy and Ramona. Envy says when Scott's like about to go down or she says something like this is a crummy way to end things, you know, very sarcastic. Well, when Scott defeats Todd and they're like walking out of the building, Ramona looks back at Envy and says, crummy way to end things. Mm. So it's very nice exchange between the two that we don't get in the movie that I really, it's very short. They should have left it in. Um, There's also this section called Bits and Pieces that's got some pretty funny stuff in it. And there's an adult swim animation. Um, I have seen that. It's Scott and Kim's backstory. Yeah. Where it explains how him and Kim became a thing. In and the school, character yeah. that he meets when he goes to the principal's office, that is Lisa. I believe I mentioned her earlier. Yeah, she is. And in the animation, it's like Lisa, not in the movie. Yeah, she is. Yeah, she's not in the movie, but she is a, a pretty big character in the comic. It's it's worth your time to watch. So I say definitely check out the deleted scenes. And it also comes with a commentary by Edgar Wright that I recommend listening to. There's tons of other features that... Um, I don't need to go into on here. I just recommend you go check them out. Yep. But that wraps our review for Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Um, We really hope, listeners, that you enjoyed it. We had tons of fun watching this movie multiple times. This is one I'm going to share with everybody that I meet. And hopefully they'll enjoy it just as much. And it's just such a fun movie to watch. So I'm really glad we got to do it. I hope you really enjoyed it. Make sure you uh, share this review with your friends because it's a fun movie to watch and it's a fun movie to discuss together. So make sure to leave us a comment what your favorite part is about Scott Pilgrim versus the world. We look forward to bringing you more reviews. But once again, we really want to thank you for taking the time to uh, download this podcast and listen to it. Make sure to share it with your friends if you enjoy it. Uh, We have tons of fun doing it. Uh, make sure to just uh, share this. We we have listeners from all over the world, which we love. It's uh, so great. We're so thankful for all the downloads and the, the love we get. But um, make sure to do that. Also, make sure to check out our bonus podcasts. They're only $1.99. Um, all, any of that money really helps. We have fun doing those bonus podcasts. They cost $1.99 because we are the stereotypical poor college students. So this money doesn't go in our pockets. It helps pay 
for these podcasts. These podcasts do cost money to produce, but any uh, donations we can get, we really appreciate. Once again, thank you for stopping by the podcast, and we really look forward to uh, seeing you next time. After defeating the ultimate final X, Gideon Gray, Scott and Ramona travel hand in hand through a mystical doorway into Heavily Ever <laughs> Heavily Ever After. Okay, Love is what brings us. Wait, no. Marriage <laughs> is what brings us together. Brings today. us together. <laughs> okay. About Ramona. <laughs> and it's really strange. And like. Okay. Okay, I'm gonna tell him to shut the frick up. Um, is the door shut? No, people are in my living room. I guess you should probably shut your bedroom door. It is closed. You just can still hear him. Gosh, that's crazy. I'm gonna text Tom real quick and tell him to shut the shut up. Actually, I text Andrew. He's out there. Scott and Natalie were together. Ramona and um, is his name Todd? Yeah, yeah. I just had a senior moment. Sorry, <laughs> um, I'm a senior in college. I have those moments. Um, <laughs> they have.